Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. We're now in season four called Momentum Matters. We've gone through a lot in the last couple of years since we started this podcast. And now I feel it's really important that you are really taking the energy, you're taking the, the, the things you've accomplished over the last couple of years, in particular the last year, and really take advantage of it to go forward. So I'm really delighted to have this wonderful woman and great guest of ours today, who I've just gotten to know over the last year, but always appreciated her energy and enthusiasm. And thankfully, Mary is accepted to be a guest today. So Mary Firon, founder and CEO of On Purpose, a boutique marketing firm. So Mary, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Gary. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, you know what, Mary, it's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of people is, who've been on the podcast, some I've known for a long, long time and others, but you're just been the first year. And as I was saying it before we got started here, I really felt an energy and a, and a connection from you, you kind of, uh, as I say, would burst on the scene in one of the workshops. And it sort of was a, a connection at that point. I, I can see, I can see why you, br you bring that energy to others. And so what, what got you into this? What got you into creating your boutique marketing firm on purpose? What, what got you to do this? Oh boy, what a big question. I would say on some level, I was born for it and some level I was built for it. I'll take you back a little bit to my, I guess my upbringing. So I grew up in a corporate family, the youngest of four. We moved around all through the United States. I think I moved 14 times by the time I was 21. When you think about those two things, being the youngest of four kids, following a family around the world, you know, they often say that youngest children are good communicators, but I also spent a lot of time trying to break into different social environments. Like there's little communities inside every school, every inside every neighborhood, et cetera. So I kind of always felt like I was observing, call it a market and finding the fit. And so on some level, I think, you know, communication words, I have an English undergrad, postgrad in corporate communications and then spent most of my time on the consulting side of marketing and found myself sort of in a senior level role at another age, other agencies and thought, you know, now it's time for me to go carve out my own space. And so I developed On Purpose, which really is about telling stories and helping businesses tell stories. Well, I really appreciate what you said, because I, I really feel that those who become entrepreneurs like you have really need to go back in their history and appreciate the things that they've accomplished, whether they may not have thought so at the time. Whether in my case, I started by delivering papers and uh, I did it by boat up at the lake and I could charge whatever I wanted or what the market would bear, you know, and, and take it back and dealing with all the customers and what would happen there. But whatever it might be, or teaching skiing, sailing, tennis, whatever, all those things that people have done when they're young and to be able to appreciate that. So I think that's really, really important that you've been able to capture that because that's something that gives us confidence in terms of, well, I've, I've been doing this for a while. This is nothing new. And I got that feeling from you. Is that the way you feel about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things is like, what gives you confidence in this kind of crazy, uncertain world? I started the business inside COVID, sort of took the big leap. And a lot of people would say, oh, geez, that's so courageous. I could never do that. But on like, I really did believe it was the logical next step in my life journey, which was I've done all of this work, I've built it over time. And now I'm feeling the need that to, to sort of shed other people's systems and other people's ways and sort of carve out my own territory. Like it just felt like the right, the, you know, the right move at the right time. And so, yeah, on so many levels, it didn't feel like a huge risk. It felt like the, just the next right move in a career path, if that makes sense. Well, it does, because I've 
you know, I've had an opportunity to coach for a long time and I've stood up and said, I don't think entrepreneurs take risk. Everybody looks at me and said, what the hell? I said, did you, and I, my next question is, did you think you were going to fail? And just as you said, no, I never thought I was going to fail. Well, then what risk did you take? <laughs> right. you, you know, I said, we take risk from how other people perceive it. But clearly, just as you expressed it, you didn't take that risk. No. And, you know, funny people will look at, and I, this is probably common for entrepreneurs, but people will look at me like I'm a science project sometimes, like scratching their head, like, why would you do this sort of strange thing? And to me, then I'm like, you know, you have that moment where you're like looking at yourself for, through their eyes and thinking, well, maybe it was risky or whatever, but there is this sort of disconnect with most people and what we're doing as entrepreneurs, I think. Yeah. Well, it, I, I, the willingness to carve your own path and, and I'm going to keep it in the same theme, but to create your own story. Mm-hmm. And I have, I've always feel, we always say at Strategic Coach, the two things that you need to be able to have control over to be really an entrepreneur is your time and your income. But that, but the, and, or sorry, your future and your income to be able to look after, willing to look after your future. Most people, if they work for a company, will have a pension. So <clears throat> that respect kind of looks after future. And I must admit, that's not something I wanted anybody ever do for me. It's, much to my wife's lament that I, I did that early on, not so much these days. And, and so, but you're, you willing to do that really, I think is really very much your story. And, and you've said, this is about creating your life and what's coming on. Did you see it as part of your story as you went through just either another chapter or another phase of that being for you? Yeah. Okay. So this is a great, great, uh, pause point for me because I did replay for the, a good chunk of my career. I told myself a different story. I told myself that I was really good at being a second in command, that I was like, I always wanted to be a really valuable contributor, but I remember looking at the CEOs that I'd report to and say, you know what? They can have the, you know, the business on their shoulders. And I think that actually comes back, going back to like the childhood discussion, being the youngest, every person in my family had done everything before I had ridden a bike, graduated from high school, got married, all these, graduated from university, like all these things. And it was always like, yeah, 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 of course you're going to do that too. But I was kind of telling myself I was a follower. And it wasn't until I took the step out to become an entrepreneur that I was like, oh my gosh, I finally found where I need to be. Like I am absolutely the manage my own life, manage my own destiny, manage my own time, do the work I want to do control the levers of the financial freedom, like all that stuff. And I was like, wait a minute. Like it, it was a little bit of a, I met myself for the first time on some level when I made the decision. Was that scary? Did you question yourself afterwards? Mm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We were at a place. So I started the business through COVID and we were in a place where my husband's career had changed dramatically. He worked in the restaurant industry, food service on the corporate level for a long time. And had left just before COVID started to consult the restaurant industry. And, you know, obviously it imploded like in days, you know, right like two weeks later or something. So I also felt like the burning platform was so hot. It was almost like, I don't like, I don't want a paycheck anymore. I don't want the world telling me what I can do. Like I'm definitely like, so it was scary, but it was also like the only choice, if that makes sense. It was like, there's no other option. This is what we're doing. And then, and then therefore we're going to make it successful. Yeah. And you know what, that I got to tell you that totally makes sense because 
I, I can, I was, as you were talking about, I was thinking of my world when I had things that had totally imploded and I started out and my wife was on maternity leave. And so we didn't have any income and I threw $50,000 into a business with people I didn't know. And, you know, that went on for years, wasn't the greatest decision, but that led me to the next couple of decisions. And, you know, it just comes at failure is not an option. It's yeah. just not an option. And there's such a, there's so much power and, and motivation, if you want to call it the purpose around not having any option. Yes. You know, there is no plan B. This is it. This is plan A. This is it. There's no, there's not all the letters in the alphabet. That's it. I got, I got this plan and that's it. And that is, I, I'd have to say, Mary, that's really, really powerful. And, you know, I'm going to turn this a little bit. Can you see that in your clients? Can you see that when that becomes from them? And can that become part of their story that you can incorporate into making something really powerful for them? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the client and the business, but I'm always telling like the, you know, the work we do with clients is on one level strategy and then one level building story. So when we get into the strategy piece, it's always like trying to uncover all the distracting layers of what they do and what, you know, how they do it and all that stuff and get to like that core purpose back to the name of our company is get to the reason they do it in the first place. And if you can find that drive, then that starts to shape everything else. And then you can bring a really compelling, meaningful story that stands out to the world that matters to them. So absolutely, we're trying to dig into that. I'd say it's also surprisingly challenging sometimes to get people to realize that. You know, they're so kind of used to talking about what they do and product services, features and benefits that it takes a bit of deconstruction to get them over to that, if that makes sense. As you know, I'm, I'm an engineer by training, so I would might be classified as one of those left brain people, but I don't think so. I'm left-handed, so I'm always in my right brains for me. So it makes it easy. I think you're left-handed as well, if I'm not mistaken. So. I am left-handed. See, <laughs> see, we're just in our right brain. We get trained in certain ways, but I, I feel that, that most people have a sense of what they're supposed to do and how other people might view it. And so this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what people expect. And therefore they just fall into this, I'll call it a trap, but they just fall into this path and go along that path. And then they don't have to, they don't have to be responsible for thinking about the things that you pull them into. So you've got to break them out of that mold. I don't know if that's yeah. a, a, pro, a good way to put it or not. Oh, it's a great, it's a great comment. Oftentimes, you know, whatever the company organization is, they're comparing themselves to their category. And weirdly, they want to do everything like the category. Well, these guys are saying X, Y, Z, we should say X, Y, Z, which is actually the opposite of what you need to do in marketing. You need to find the thing that helps you stand apart. So look at the category and go the other direction. But there is a sense of like, that comes back to risk and security. And so, you know, the, the less risky choice is to look and sound and feel just like everyone else. It's just not the one that's going to help you achieve the results you need. So, well, you, you know, you probably can do what you do because even though you were around and, and following all your siblings in this, you probably wanted to do things yourself and you wanted, and you found, probably found a way to give it your own twist in your own world. If you look back, even when you're fairly young, and that's just as a presumption on my part. No, I don't think that is at all. I mean, absolutely. When there's also a little bit of freedom in being the youngest, because the oldest has to do things the way, you know, mom and dad had said, and there's like more structure. And, you know, typically parents of the first child are the, are the very strict parents. And the last child, they forget that you're even, you know, didn't go to school today kind of thing. So there's a lot of freedom <laughs> and independence 
<laughs> in the, me growing up, you know, and the, even still, I mean, you know, the corporate family conversation. So my you know, sister went to school, started working with a pharmaceutical company. She's now the CEO of a very successful pharmaceutical company. My brother went to school for commerce. My other sister went to school for commerce. And then I go to school and get an English literature degree. And my parents, <laughs> you know, like, and they're like, sure, go ahead, do that thing. But how in the world was I going to get a job with that? And if I wasn't going to be a teacher, which I never, I knew I never wanted to do, but there is definitely a thread of independence in that. And also that kind of standing on the outside, looking at people when moving into a new town, a new school or whatever, there's always a sort of feeling of other than. And so you're always kind of observing social culture and you're kind of trying to figure that out. So I think that's also a way of looking at markets and looking at businesses and trying to make connections to things that maybe they don't see inside their business yeah. that I can well. see. Well, I, I mean, I can certainly, because I can see you, even though it's recording this as an audio and the energy you have and the enthusiasm and the passion you have for that, I can see that and it comes across and it always has in, in the interactions that we've had. And I can imagine that when you're dealing with your clients. And so what's the biggest challenge you have about getting them to think in, in the way that will be really beneficial to them? And I'm probably going to put out that it probably doesn't take you long to figure out what that is for them, but they can't see it yet. What do you have to do to pull people out of that, you know, crack open that mold so that the, you know, yeah, the, the real, the real, the real power comes out? Well, that's a great question. So it's true that you can kind of, because I'm, you know, there's that whole saying, you can't read the label from inside the jar and all companies and the you know, longer you're there, the more sort of entrenched, the more inside the jar you are. I'm outside the jar and our, you know, our team is outside the jar. So we can often have a perspective fairly quickly. You do have to bring them along in the process. One of the biggest challenges is everybody's getting input from everywhere. And there's a lot of noise out there related to who they should be, what they should say, where they should show up, where they shouldn't show up. And so getting rid of the noise and helping them get back to what matters to them. What matters to them is who they are and why they do what they do. That's one, let's call it a Venn diagram. That's one circle. The next circle is who is your customer? What do they care about? What are their pain points? What are their gains? Like, where are their opportunities? And then the next circle is really like, where's the white space in that where nobody else is trying to, you know, nobody else is like throwing a million messages and a million sort of, you know, distracting points. And that's the sweet spot we're trying to go for. So you almost have to walk them through that. So we often like the beginning of our exercise with clients is always around, let's discover, let's like dig into your business. Let's go deep into who you are, what you do, why you do it. And that's kind of the internal work. And then we look at the market and we go, okay, so what is everybody doing out there? What do they really care about? We want to talk to customers and understand their pains and their terms, not the way we as an internal organization speak about them but actually what the customers say. And we kind of walk them through that journey. And it's a really important part of the process. Leadership teams need to go through it together in order to get alignment and sort of on some level, get one version of the truth. And then we build from there. Cool. So yeah. how do you, how do you, well, I would, I'm going to say this. I suspect that once you get a client, you probably don't lose them because you're, you're that much different in terms of, and they go look at every elsewhere. If you've already educated them, to how they do, how you do things as the expression goes, they're no longer ignorant. And now they look at everybody else as being the same and you've been able to take them and, and give them color versus everybody else being black and white. Yes. I think, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do have, because we have a, 
a way of being and a way of digging into their business and an intense curiosity. So we really do want to understand who they are and what they do. And so once you can get there, yeah, you're their partner in, in the work and what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's an interesting journey with clients around that. If there are clients out there that just want you to go execute their ads, that's a different conversation altogether. And it's not usually one that generates the results they need. And it's one that we would opt not to have in the end, because we can't really help them if they're not going to address the strategy and the story first. So I call that, I call that transactional and not transformational. Exactly. Yeah. You'd rather take them through a transformation that takes them from the caterpillar to the butterfly, if I'd call it that way. Oh, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So so how do you tell your story? Oh, so interesting. (laughs) The on-purpose story. Well, you know, and you may have seen this, but we position ourselves as storytellers Mm -hmm. and we work with what we call left-brain industries. So left-brain industries to us are industrial and technical in nature. And they're left-brain because they tend to lean heavily on data, information, rational sort of analytics. And they can forget that they actually, every single person who ever bought something, every single business that ever bought something was bought by a human and humans relate to stories. So I would say, you know, there's a lot of marketing out there and there's a lot of marketing firms out there. Probably the world doesn't need another one, but I do think there's a real absence of storytelling and storytelling is how human beings, since the dawn of time, since the very first story ever told, connect and collaborate. And so if you can't connect with another human being, you cannot trust them, therefore collaborate with them, work with them, et cetera. So that's our story. That's what makes us different. I think, you know, is, is we're not just out there to sort of project messaging out there into the market and be super creative and sort of one way we're there to find, you know, find that magic connection between our clients and their, and their, constituents. It could be employees, could be employees, could be partners, could be customers. And, you know, it's funny. We just had an offsite with one of our, with our, our team and we've got it, you know, employees, but we also got an extended group of contractors we work with and they're all different parts of the marketing world. They're video makers, they're writers, they're graphic designers, et cetera. And in marketing, I used to feel a little bit sheepish. I was like, Oh, we're in marketing. We, you know, there's a lot of sort of blowback around marketing in the, as an industry, you're just advertising, you're just selling and telling people what products and services to buy. But actually everybody who makes things who creates communications, they're the storytellers. And there's a, there's a famous quote by Percy Shelley. I think it's like, and he's a famous poet is the, in the defense of poetry, but he says, the poets are the unacknowledged legislators of our time. The people who can bring words to meaning are the ones who are writing history. And so on some level, we are helping companies and really like innovative, disruptive, you know, large industries. We're helping these industries make history. We're helping them change the world, whether it's a widget or a piece of technology or a chemistry, et cetera, that they have a hard time sort of, it's complicated. We help them break it down and tell the story in a way that can relate to other humans around the impact, the value they create in the world. So I would say that's the, that's the magic that I think we capture that I think is maybe missing in the rest of the sort of corporate marketing speak world. Yeah. And I, you know, as you're talking about so many things going through my head and I'll try and pull a couple of them down. And one of them is, as I'd say, is I say this really 
respectfully as an engineer, writing is the only thing that stands the test of time. All other structures, buildings, everything, institutions, companies, they all collapse, but writing is the one thing that persists. And, and, that. And, and the books have not diminished and the stories have not diminished over time, including with all the other media that's available to us, because we get we get to the story is controlled in terms of what's written, but also how we get to take it. So one, you're total, you're totally onto something because, and that's something I've very much appreciated. And you're totally right about people, and it's because we're human beings, and the human is the emotional part, and being is the intellectual part. Well, which part comes first? The emotional part, and we always make decisions from emotional part. And I have a little saying on my board up here that emotion destroys intellect. So you yeah. you want to be careful how, you know, you want to channel the emotion in the right way so that their intellect is at least on par with their ability to make the right decisions on that side of things. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Gary. You know, there's lots of research on storytelling in the world. And one of them is a gentleman by the name of Paul Zak has been studying storytelling and the impact on the brain for a long time. But some of the work that he talks about is around what happens in the brain when they, people hear a story and effective stories. There's two things. You need the cortisol reaction. So you need drama. You need, you need somebody to grab your attention. And then you need to care. You need the oxytocin, the caring hormone. And when you have like, you've drawn me in through drama or through a challenge or whatever, and you make me care, then you've got the components where you've tapped into my emotional brain and then absolutely, you need the reasons to believe. You need the elements of the story. You need to be able to pay it off. But I found that in you know corporate world, we've watered down all the messages. We've you know we all use the same words for this you know different things, and it's very generalized and safe. And it's kind of like they're little robots on your website, just you know, the same robots writing all the copy for everybody because it's not very human and it's not. So that's the mission is to help these industries that are doing really, really cool things, change the world through telling the story of what they're doing. Yeah, cool. So I've mm -hmm. one, one other, a little bit offshoot from this and that I would, I've often said, and I think, I don't know where I picked this up, but maybe you could help me with it, is that 70% of the buyer's decision was made before they even contact you. And that was and that was prior to COVID. And I've kind of said since COVID, because we all had to do more online, it's probably even higher than that. Does that am, am I way off base in that kind of comment? Because people research beforehand. So what's what's your experience in that? That side. Yeah, of it? So I, I think it ties into the story side of it. So I'll get to that point. So yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a fair assumption. I haven't seen any research since COVID, but I've certainly seen that statistic. You know, lots of my clients will say, well, you know, most of our, you know, most of our work comes through referral and, you know, there's a lot of kind of, and then the rubber hits the road when the salespeople can speak to somebody. Sure. All of that is true. But the reality is that uh, buyers are pogo sticking in and out of the buyer journey. And they're talking to someone, maybe it's a, a, a colleague, they go to the website, they see you on social, they might hear you at a conference. Like, this whole world is, is touching them in different ways. And then let's layer on top of that, the massive amount of distraction out there, the massive amount of information and think about like, how do you, how do you, how do you stand out and become memorable to that buyer or that, you know, the person making the buying decision, you need a story to do it. Okay. Facts are 22, per, 22 times more memorable as part of the story. Correct. So, so if you could tell somebody a story and then that person can tell it, there's a reason that stories have been passed over generation and generation. There's a reason that 
stories are relatable across geographies, across cultures, across time, because the human condition is something that we all have in common. So like right. tap into the human and then the story's memorable. So I totally so, agree with you. So, so, well, perfect. I'm glad we got to that point. <laughs> and I will remember the fact it's 22 times more memorable. So the next time I say it in a workshop, I'll remind you, mind to give you credit for it while you're there. <laughs> oh, thanks. It wasn't my stat, but yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you credit. Well, you know, and, and I think that's really important that the people get in touch with that story. And it just to me is, it's what's really been missing in this in this world and we're going to get more data driven i think this is the other part that's going to happen we're going to get more data driven and that's not such a bad thing but the story still has to be told because people don't really understand how to connect the data with the right story i think that's really missing to be able to yeah. get it across as you said 22 times more I think that's what you just said. Yeah, 22 times more, more memorable. You know, data is our friend in marketing now. Like we're like little scientists now conducting marketing experiments. And so we're like, let's try this and see if it works. And so data is our friend because now we actually know what's working and what's not working. The challenge that we can get into is you rely so much on the data and the keyword research, et cetera, that you're kind of overly focused on that and you lose the story. So you see a lot of web pages that are like keyword here, keyword next sentence, keyword three sentences later, like, and it's, you're kind of losing the essence of, of actually relating to and communicating with someone. So it's our friend, but let's not forget that there's, you know, there's, there's art and science to it. There's both sides. Absolutely. So you might like this. I've, I've used something that I don't know where I've got it, but coined it as the, the information hierarchy. And at the bottom of it is data because data is quite prevalent, but people don't really pay for data. The next level up is information. Well, people might start to pay for information, but it, it doesn't start to become valuable until you get to the third level, which is knowledge. And then the fourth level is wisdom. Well, wisdom is totally a story because yeah. there's very few words in wisdom, okay? You've consolidated all those things and you really become valuable when you take the data, which is what you've been talking about. Data is your friend, but you've got, to, you've got to do something with that data. You've either got to manipulate it in some way, you've got to create something to its story. And so to me, the value comes when you get to the knowledge part, because now that data input into a story becomes more memorable, if you said that. And then as we go further on, you have with all more of the data that's there, you have the wisdom around it. And then that becomes a very, very, it's very much a story. There's really not much else to it. I love that. I might start using that. I might, yeah, start up to, I might have to start, yeah, referencing you yeah. in my workshops. It's perfect. I'm always, I'm always good to have a reference referring point, yeah. you know, and get me out there. <laughs> love it. Mary, this has been wonderful. I've well, really fun. enjoyed it. We could talk for a long time, but we've, we've gone close to our 30 minutes at this point in time and not that I want to cut it off, but I think you've left so many gems out there. And certainly with me, I've always been impressed by you and, and what you do and what your energy is. And I know our paths will continue to cross again as, as the world goes on, but is there anything else that we, you'd like to say here before you, you wrap up that maybe you've thought about through the course of this that you hadn't had a chance or I didn't ask you about, what would you like to say? Well, first of all, I just want to say this is such a joy to have this conversation. I could nerd out on storytelling and talk with you for days. So I appreciate being invited here. I guess the only thing that would stand out for me, if there's one thing that anybody listening to this could take away, is that everything starts with a story. Every good thing, every good deed, every great accomplishment started with a story. The story in our head, the story we tell our friend or partner or colleague, 
And let's not lose sight of those stories as we start to bring those ideas, whether it's to market or to a community, et cetera. So like really tap into that because that's the part that mattered. And, you know, if, if, if all else fails, tell the real story about the humans who are impacted and it will serve you well. Yeah. Awesome. Because, you know, you go back and as you were talking about that, I think of, of all the the great books and literature, the Bible being one and other works that were all, they were all stories. There's, there's yeah. other things that they're, they're all stories and all human stories and something that's there. And Mary, the reason I had you on, one, I, I love being with you, you great personality and, and energy to be with, but also I love your story and I appreciate you got a chance to tell it with me today and with the audience. And so I look forward to the next time that we connect whenever that might be. And so until then, to everyone in our audience, please stay safe and stay healthy until next time.